right. Well, welcome once again. And uh, how's everybody doing? How's this week been going for you? You ready for this week coming up? It's going to be a hot one. They say that we're going to have record, uh, record-breaking heat. How many are ready for that? There's always one or two. There's always. Okay. Um, last week, as I said, um, okay, We're, we are in our third week in the, in the series of the church. We talked the first week about the fact that we are a people with a promise, and that promise is that no matter what the gates of hell throws against the church, the church will always survive. I mean, the church is, 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 is going to end up going to be victorious and is victorious because whatever the gates of hell throw at the church, Jesus tells us it will not be able to overcome the church. So we have a promise that no matter what happens, the church is going to, is going to not only survive, but come out thriving. Uh, and then last week was Pentecost Sunday, uh, and we talked about the fact that the church is a people with power. We are a people with the power of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came to the church, the Holy Spirit came and empowered the church. Um, and before we closed out the service, we asked the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. We asked for the Holy Spirit to come and empower us. We asked for Jesus to come and, and baptize us in his Holy Spirit. And you could sense his presence as we began to wait on him. And we did that again just a moment ago. You could sense the Holy Spirit just begin to descend on the room and fill us uh, with a wonderful, you know, it, it's a wonderful manifestation of his presence when you can just feel him. There are certain times when... When, when you can just sense his presence um, descending on us. I remember one time when we were meeting in Harmony School years back, there was a Sunday, if, you're, if those of you that were here then remember, there was a Sunday we couldn't meet at the school because they were redoing their gym floor. So we met over at Benford Elementary School. There was one Sunday there, and I remember that there was one point in the service where you could just, it, it, it's like you could sense the Holy Spirit descending on us like, like we were being enveloped in a warm blanket. And it was incredible. And a number of people said something after the service. Of, yes, that's what they felt, like the Holy Spirit was descending on them like a warm blanket. That was wonderful. We have those times, those wonderful times where you could sense his presence. It's so real. It's like if you close your eyes and open them, you, you know, you'd, be, you'd feel like, oh, I, I, I know I would, I would see him. Or, or you, know, you could almost reach out and touch him because his presence is that real and that tangible. And, and you know, we said last week that, that that is something we can ask for, his presence to come, his filling to come, his, to be baptized in him again. You know, it's not a one-time experience. That is something that we can ask for any time, any day, any place. It doesn't have to be in church. See, the thing is, 
the empowering of the Holy Spirit, I don't care what label you put on it, okay? Being baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled in the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit, I mean, they're, they're, they're the same thing. Anytime, you know, you want, you can ask for that or being empowered by the Holy Spirit because when he comes, he releases his gifts, he releases his power into our lives. And the empowering of the Holy Spirit is not just so that we can have a wonderful experience. It's not just so that we can have a feel-good time with the Lord. I mean, those times are great, right? You like those times? Those times are wonderful and, and that, but they're, they're not always there. It's, you, know, you don't always feel him, but yet his presence is always with us. And when his empowering comes, he, he, here's the thing. It's power that's given to us for a purpose, for a purpose. When the Holy Spirit empowers us, and during those times, it's not about us. It is, as wonderful as it is, it is not about us. It's about what he wants to do. It's empowering for a purpose. It's to do the work of the kingdom. So when you sit at home and, and you, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to come and he starts to fill you and you start to feel his presence, then start looking, or wherever you are, in your car, in, you know, at work, wherever, when you, when, you, when you sense his presence starting to come, take a moment and look around and just ask, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in this place? What are you doing around me? What, what, what's going on? How do you want to use me? Start looking for his activity around you. Ask what he's doing and say, and then ask him, how can I join you? How, would you? how do you want me to join what you're doing? Because God is always at work, all the time, all around us. He is never not working around us. We don't always see it. In fact, we're often blinded to it. We don't always see what he's doing. But when we ask him, reveal to me what you are doing in this place and use me, chances are that we'll hear him. You know, not when I talk about hear him, I don't mean necessarily an audible voice, but do not rule that out. But you'll sense him, you know, saying, okay, I want you to talk to this person. I want you to pray for this person. I want you to say an encouraging word over here. I want you to do this and watch for what he wants you to do. Ask how you can join him. God is always at work and he always wants to use you and me to do his work. That's why he left us here on this earth. That's why when we put our faith in him, we just, just didn't boom off to, off to heaven. We're here to do the work of the kingdom. And we can't do that without his power. Not one of us can do that without his power. And that's what Pentecost was all about. It was all about God's empowering his church to do the work of the kingdom that he left us here to do. But in addition to his power, there's one more thing we need. And that is the authority to rightly use that power that we've been given. And that's what I want to talk about today, the authority that we have in Christ to do the work of the kingdom. Not just random power, but the right to use his power that he's made available to us. I would suggest to you that most 
Christians do not know the authority that is theirs in Christ or how to properly use it. Most Christians do not fully believe that they have the authority that Christ gives them. They may believe it in their head, but they're not confident of it in their heart. And that's why when they go to do something, there's that hesitation. There's that fear. There's that what if nagging in our minds because we're not fully convinced of the authority that Christ has given to us. We're not fully convinced that, that, that he really meant it when he said he was giving us authority. So, and, you know, the amazing thing about authority is when you know your authority, when you know who you are in Christ, your identity in Christ, and the authority that you carry as God's son, we are sons and daughters of God, the authority that we carry, when we know that, then we can really make use of the power available through, to us through the Holy Spirit because we will confidently step out taking that risk and using that power in the way God intended it to be used. So let's talk about the authority that we have. First, we need to realize that our authority is not something that comes from ourselves. It's given to us. We have authority that is delegated to us by Christ. And we see this as we look through the scriptures. First off, we see it with the apostles. It was first delegated to the twelve. In Luke 9, cha- uh, chapter 9, verse, starting in verse 1, we read, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them what? Power and what? And authority. He gave them power and authority to do what? To drive out a couple of demons? A couple of critters? To drive out all demons and cure diseases and he sent them out to what tell somebody have a good day to proclaim the kingdom of God and then not to be redundant but to be redundant to heal the sick okay and he told them take nothing for the journey no staff no bag no bread no money no extra shirt whatever house you enter stay there until you leave that town if the people do not welcome you don't worry about it leave the town shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them so they went out from village to village this is the 12 apostles they went out from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. They had listened to Jesus as he announced the arrival of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is is among you. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the rule <clears throat> God's rule and reign is here. Or to put it to paraphrase it another way, God's here and he's taken over. He's taking what's his back. So, he, you know, they had, they had watched as Jesus uh, had done that. And they had watched him as they, they listened to him announce the arrival of the kingdom. They watched as he healed the sick. They watched him cast out demons. Then he gets the 12 together and he sends them out and says, Go do what you just saw me doing. 
Go announce what you saw me announcing. Go do the things that you saw me doing. And he gave them power and authority to proclaim the kingdom as his ambassadors, to proclaim the kingdom as his representatives, power and authority to, to proclaim that the kingdom of God was here and then to back it up by demonstrations, by casting out demons and healing the sick just like they had seen him do. And you know what they did? They went out and they did just that. They announced the kingdom. They cast out demons. Like, oh, man, you know, even the demons are subject to us. They cast out demons and they healed the sick. I can imagine, you know, when they, when they, the, the, their, their, their first time of doing something like that, it's like, wow, it really works. And then a little while later, in Luke chapter 10, he gathered 72 other disciples. So this is others beside the 12, 72 others disciples, and sent them out with the same mission. In chapter 10, we read, after, the Lord appoint, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. I can imagine, you know, two by two. That's a good idea. It's always good to go in pairs. Why? You know, I can imagine them now. Tell me again what he said we're to do. Well, we're to heal the, announce the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out. Yeah, that's what I was afraid he said. You know, that's what we got to do. You know, I could, I could just imagine those conversations. But he sent him out two by two to every town and place where he was about to go, and he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In other words, we need more people doing this. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. I mean, can you sense, as you read this, can you sense the level of urgency in Jesus' voice? You know, why did he said, you know, say, don't take a purse or sand or bag or sandals? You know, don't greet anybody. Don't stop and talk to anybody. Say hi to them on the road. Were they, was he telling them to be unfriendly? No, he was saying there's, this is urgent. This is, this is urgent work. So, you know, the urgency in his work, in, in, in their mission, he says, don't delay, don't get distracted, and be on your guard against wolves. Be on your guard about what's going on around you, and don't let yourself get sidelined and distracted. And he says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat whatever is offered to you. Heal the sick. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So now there's 84 people to whom Jesus gave power and authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. The original 12, 72 on that, you know, my mom taught math. That equals 84. Here's an interesting fact about that, though. Other than the 12 apostles, which is also interesting, Judas was one of those 12. Means he, got, he did this stuff, too. But other than those 12, we don't know the names of the other 72. We don't know their names. There's been some speculation, well, maybe Barnabas was in that crowd, and, and this person and that person. We don't know who they were. 
Because their names are not what's important. That's not what mattered, who they were. Here's what we need to understand about delegated authority. When a person has authority that's delegated to them, it's not their name that matters. It's the name behind the authority that matters. Right? It's not their name that's going to stop anything or do anything. It's the name behind the authority. When a police officer wants to stop somebody, what does he say? He says, stop in the name of Officer Henry Smith. It's like, huh, you got to be kidding me. No, he says, stop in the name of what? The law, that which has given him that delegated authority. That's where the authority comes from. The law which he, is author, he or she is authorized to represent. That is good to know because not only did Jesus delegate his authority to the 12, not only did he delegate his authority to the 72, but he has now delegated his authority to every single believer that lives. Every single one of us that's a believer. Look at Matthew 28. Just before Jesus went into heaven, just before he ascended, after, the, after his death, after his burial, and after his resurrection from the dead, as then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus is saying he has all authority as his, all of it. Then what does he do? He gives it to us when he said, therefore, in other words, he, he, he is offer, authorizing them. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. As you go and do this stuff, as you go and teach people to do this stuff, I'm always with you. All authority belonged to Jesus, and he gave it to us when he said to go and make disciples and teach them to do the things that he did. In other words, Jesus gives the authority to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. Note, it's not authority to do whatever we want. It's not authority to do whatever we think needs to be done. It's authority to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God as he leads us. Jesus didn't operate on his own. He didn't go around healing every person that he saw. Think about this. In Acts chapter 3, I think it is, where Peter and John are going to the temple and there's a lame man outside begging for gold. And Peter says, look at us. Silver and gold, I don't have any of that. But what I do have, I'm glad to give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took his hand and he, and he pulled him up to his feet. His ankles and feet were strengthened. And he went around jumping around like a madman, like a crazy man, excited with the fact that after all those years of laying there, of sitting there by the, by the temple begging, he's finally able to jump up and walk. Have you ever wondered, how many times did Jesus go into the temple? 
How many times did Jesus walk by that man? Why didn't he heal him? Because that's not what the Father was doing that day. That was for another day. That was for that day that Peter and John walked past. Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. He did not act on his own authority. And it's the same with us. We have authority to do whatever he's given us to do. That means we have authority to heal the sick. We have authority to cast out demons. As we see the Father's leading. Anything he asks us or leads us to do, we have the power and authority to do it. Now the key to exercising our authority is one word relationship our authority as believers is based on our relationship with christ there's an interesting story in acts chapter 19 starting in verse 11 says god was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of paul now this was not the normal miracle you know of be healed it was extraordinary so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. Handkerchiefs and aprons. They would place them on Paul, take them to their grandmother or their grandfather or son or daughter or whoever it was that was sick, lay them on him. Boom, they were healed. Extraordinary. And diseases left them and evil spirits went out. But also some Jewish exorcists <clears throat> who went from place to place attempted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had the evil spirit, saying, I order you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, doing this. But the evil spirit responded and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know of Paul, but who the heck are you? Who do you think you are? Who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit pounced on them, pounced on all seven of them, subdued all of them, and overpowered them so they fled that house naked and wounded. Let me say a couple of things about this story. First off, we need to realize this is not just a story. This is real. This really happened. It's not a parable where it's something that's, you know, a story told to illustrate something. This is a real historical event. It really happened. We need to believe in this spiritual world around us. We need to believe that it is real. The problem is it does not fit into our worldview, uh, the worldview of many Christians in the, rest, in the Western world. We just, oh, that's too fancy. Oh, that's, and, and we've, we've looked at what Hollywood says about their version of the spiritual world and watch movies that, that do nothing that put fear in us and nothing but, you know, glorify the, the, the power of the enemy in that. And, and you know, we have cartoons of, 
you know, the devil looking like, you know, he's this guy with horns, you know, red guy with horns and a pointy tail and, and so forth. And that's where we get our theology from. And then we think, well, that's not real. No, it isn't real. But the spiritual world around us is real. There are angels, there are demons, there are evil spirits. It is real. When you read the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, and look at the throne room of God and how it's described, do you think that's just some made-up made up picture in John's mind as he's describing, oh, man, hey, I'm going to put this here, and this creature is going to look like... No, that's a real description. This is a real story. There are real enemies around. There are real demons. We don't have to fear them. We don't have to be afraid of them. But we need to recognize that they're there and that they are real. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not real. If you don't believe in the reality and existence of demons or evil spirits, whatever you want to call them, then you have to cut out a huge portion of the New Testament. And it'll look like Swiss cheese. You have to just cut it out. And at the same time, it makes you evil, easy prey because you're not even recognizing what's coming at you. Second thing I want to mention, when we talk about casting out evil spirits, we're not talking about exorcism. Okay? It's not the same thing. You know, we all have heard stories of exorcists and, you know, those. And exorcism and, and, and deliverance ministry are not the same. An exorcist is someone that uses rituals, incantations, formulas, different items, you know, and that to drive, to try to drive a demon out of a person. That's what the seven sons of Sceva were doing, the Jewish high priests. That's what they were doing. No doubt they had seen Paul and they, you know, they'd seen him use the name of Jesus to set people free from demonic oppression. And they thought, we can do that. I got the formula down. They were using the name of Jesus as part of a formula for exorcism. Nothing about our walk with Jesus can be reduced to a formula. Nothing. Whether it's praying to give our lives to Christ, we don't have a formula for that. We may say someone, pray these words after me. It's not the words, it's the expression of the heart, the repentance in their heart and their faith in the heart. Not the words, it's not a formula. Or whether it's, you know, we're, when someone's being baptized, so much argument has been in the church. Well, do we do it, you know, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as Jesus said? Or do we baptize in the name of Jesus as, you know, it, it, we see in the book of Acts? And it's like, and I tell people, it's not the words that matter. It's not a formula. When we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or whether we baptize in the name of Jesus. You know, quite frankly, when I baptize somebody, I do it both ways. 
In the name of Jesus, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because somebody with a religious spirit is bound to come after uh, to them after, well, how did you get baptized? Oh, they use the, he used the wrong words. You're not really baptized. You're not saved. And it creates a doubt. There's, I just cover both, you know. It's not the formula. I mean, obviously, we're not going to say in the name of Buddha or something like that, but we're doing it in the name of Jesus. That's in the authority of Jesus and the authority of the Father, Son, Holy. So there's nothing about our Christian life that can be reduced to a formula. It's not about saying the right words. When I was a brand new Christian, I was taught that there's power when we pray in Jesus' name, and there is. But I remember, you know, every time I prayed, I'd be sure to tack on in Jesus' name. Oh, God, if, you know, if you're real and I need, when I, when I got saved, if you're real and I need to listen to what these people are telling me, then I need you to do this and I need you to do this now. Oh, in Jesus' name. You know, tacking on the words. That's not it. I was focused on the formula. And when something that I asked for didn't happen, I questioned the wording that I used and, the, uh, uh, and focused on the formula. That's what these men did. And as you can see, it did not turn out too well for them. The man with the evil spirit said to the sons of Sceva, I know Jesus, I've heard about Paul, but who are you? And they attacked him, overpowered him, sent him away running, beat up and naked because they had no relationship with Jesus. They had no authority to use his name because they had no relationship. God is not a vending machine where you put in the right coins, push a button, and out comes an answered prayer. That's not God. There is power and authority for ours to use in the name of Jesus, but his name is not a magic formula. We can't just tack on in Jesus' name to a prayer and think that because we did that, we're going to have what we want. The power and authority comes through relationship with Jesus as we align our hearts with him, align our hearts with his heart, and do the kingdom work that he has given us to do. Last point for today has to do with expectations. The authority that Christ gives us comes with it, inherent in it, the expectation that we are going to use it that we are going to exercise it. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, what do you think he expects? He expects that we are going to do it. He expects his followers to do it. We are here to use the power and authority that Jesus gave us to do the works of the kingdom. That's why we're here. And when he says, go and do this, it's like when you tell your kids something, I want you to go and do this. You expect them to do it. Not to just sit down, oh, I'd rather watch a TV show. How do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? Do we do it just by, this is what this book says. Okay, this is, okay, this is, 
This is what it says about God. This is what, about, what it says about being saved. This is what it says about how we're to live our lives. It's not just by telling others about what's in the book. It's by demonstrating and helping others to do the stuff that Jesus did. Teaching them to obey everything. Everything I've commanded you. Not everything I've taught you. Everything I've commanded you. Like when he told the twelve. Go out, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons. When he told the 74, go out, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons. When he tells us, go into all the world. Teach him to obey everything that I've commanded you. What did he command him? Drive out demons, cure diseases, proclaim the kingdom of God is here. Simple. Now, part of that does involve academic learning. What this book says matters. It matters a great deal. And it matters a great deal that we learn to, that we grow in it and learn to understand it as he meant it. Learn what it says. We can't just take some random thing out of here and, oh, I'm going to go by that. Learn the story of the book. Learn the ways of God, not just little do this and do that, don't do that. I mean, learn the ways of God. Learn the book. So part of it is that. But part of it involves practicing what we learn. The knowledge does just no good unless we put it into practice. It doesn't matter what's in here. It matters what's in here. Doing the stuff Jesus did and sent the 12 out to do and then the 72 out to do and then commissioned the church to do. That's what matters when we do this. I remember John Wimber telling when he you know, came to Christ, came to faith in Christ, and he started reading the Bible and he started going to church. And pretty soon he asked somebody, when do we get to do the stuff? Well, what stuff? The stuff in this book. When do we get to do it? And he was told, oh, we don't do it. We just read about it. And he said, what? You mean I gave up drugs for this? And he wasn't satisfied with that answer because he was going out and, and doing the stuff. The church was never meant to just read about it. We were commissioned to go and to do. So, Father, I pray right now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Every single one of us, Lord, was created. We are your workmanship created to do good works, to do your work in Christ Jesus. Works that you laid out from, for us before the foundation of time. We want to do what we were put here to do. So, Lord, open our eyes to see what's before us. When we go to work this week, 
Let us see what you are doing around us. And let us hear your voice telling us, calling us, and telling us how to do the work. What you would have us to do in this situation. What you would have us to say in that situation. Lord, we don't want to live our lives just um, going along, going into work, going home, eating dinner, watching TV, go to bed, get up, repeat and do the same thing all over again and just kind of exist through life. Lord, we are yours to use. We want to do the things that you show, for us, show us to do. Do the things that you're doing that you invite us into. We want to do the work of the kingdom. We're saying, use us, Lord. You've given us power. You've given us authority. Help us to step forward and walk out in confidence in that power and authority and to do the work that you've given us to do. And if we miss it, if we don't hear you right, Lord, we're just going to keep doing it and learn to hear your voice clearer the next time. So Holy Spirit, come. And as we leave this place today, show us the work of the kingdom that you have for us. Help us to recognize when the enemy is at work around us and not to be afraid of him, but to take authority over him. Because we know that your word says that greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. It's not even a contest. So when we have your power and we have your authority, we don't have to fear what the enemy is doing. In Jesus' name, let's stand. If you want to hold out your hands to... There's nothing magical about holding out your hands. It's just that it's, it's, it's a re, it, it reflects a receptive heart, a receptive posture of saying. That's why a lot of times when I worship, sometimes I'll have my hands up, you know, praise you, God. Sometimes I'll have my hands out just because I want to receive everything that God has for me. So let me give you this benediction, this blessing. Now may the Holy Spirit third person of the Godhead. May the Holy Spirit fill you with boldness, with confidence, and with faith as you go in the authority He has given you to proclaim the kingdom of God and to demonstrate His power. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.